Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another Call of Cthulhu scenario review. I am your host, Nate, and joined with me today is... I am the man from Wing. And today we're going to be taking a look at the second scenario offered in Deadlight and Other Dark Turns is the Saturn Chalice, which is a scenario I feel doesn't get talked about enough. But before we get into the meat of the scenario itself, we will be going through all of the juicy details, so there will be spoilers throughout. So any players in the audience, be sure to send your keeper this way, and we will see you all in our next episode. All right, so now that all the players are out of the way, I guess we start with the pretty extensive backstory for this one shot. The scenario focuses on the Wayland family, and uh, specifically the head of the household, Augustus, and his daughter, Veronica. After the loss of his wife, Augustus, in his, in his sorrow, attempts to summon an archangel through means of using the Amberlin ritual. And in 1920, he takes his first attempt at completing the Amberlin operation, and he unfortunately fails, and through his failure, he assumes that it's uh, some some discrepancy with the translation of the text that he has. So he he sends out basically like a an SOS to anyone within the occult community who can find him another copy of this book. And that leads him to the book salesman, uh, Lester Goodman. Augustus essentially buys this 15th century copy of the Amberlin operation and tries it again. And in a second attempt, he unwittingly summons a shapeless one into the house and the the shapeless one ends up in the house and unfortunately it is trapped within the house he makes a note to his daughter veronica who ends up becoming interested in the occult herself and then she attempts to to find out what happened to her father and basically take revenge on the shapeless one i guess in her hubris she attempts to get answers from the entity and the entity becomes upset with her. She springs a trap on them, binding the entity to the house. And that is where the scenario sort of begins proper, is that the, the investigators run out of gas and they are brought into the Wayland estate. So in my game, I pretty much completely ignored most of this backstory, and I changed a lot of it just for the sake of uh, what was going on in my campaign. But... I think in a one-shot, this is a pretty serviceable amount of backstory to be able to provide a keeper if if your group likes to do all, a lot of role-playing and discovering out that sort of stuff. But I feel like a lot of groups are not really going to care for much of this, and I don't think that keepers should focus on this information too much. Yeah, I like the fact that uh, the Amberlin operation is actually a a real thing and the uh the scenario provides a uh, quite a bit of detail about the origins of this book and the various translations that have uh, have been done over the uh, years including the most recent english translation which is from the early 2000s and uh the i guess the issue with the translations is one of the reasons that uh, augustus fails he is using a I believe it is a French or English, one of the first French or English translations, which is missing a pretty significant amount of information about how the ritual is actually performed, including, you know, it actually lasts 18 months when he tries to do it in six. And so that uh, is what prompts him to reach out to uh, the occult community to find more and, you know, to get a better, uh, an addition, one of the original German 
or Hebrew texts that uh, that uh, is a more uh, complete uh, uh, description of how the uh, the ritual actually uh, unfolds. So I do like the idea that uh, that this is something in real life. So if you want to actually go and purchase this book, I assume you can uh, probably do so on uh, on your uh, retailer of uh, choice. I think a lot of the backstory, uh, we'll get into this a bit later in the the review, but I think a lot of this backstory, while it is interesting for the keeper, I don't know how much of it the players will actually get to learn due to how the scenario unfolds, especially uh, the characters that they meet and the, the information that they have. A lot of the characters have gaps in their memory, and I don't think there's a lot of opportunity in the scenario to be giving these lengthy explanations of of how Augustus and Veronica achieved these these rituals. The, the scenario is really dealing with the fallout from the rituals themselves, not not the ritual itself. So you're really sort of cleaning up after what has happened after the ritual was performed. So going into great detail about what the ritual is, how it's performed and all that doesn't really help the investigators. And I suspect that given the sort of open-ended nature of the scenario in terms of how the investigators proceed through it, that it might actually turn out to be a red herring that they might latch onto. And then suddenly the keeper is in a a difficult situation where they're focusing on this ritual and that's not really the point mm-hmm. unfortunately so the keeper would have to then start to uh might induce panic in the keeper and the keeper may have to like try to bring the bring things back around which uh so i guess sometimes a lot of information i as a keeper i always like this sort of information but i think you have to be careful how you how much you information you provide about this ritual because it's not really the the point of the scenario though there are ways to make it the focal point say if you have a campaign where you have a bunch of occultists who like do traveling seances or something like that then maybe but i think in order for it to work and get the most out of the backstory of the plot, you would really want to like integrate that as part of your campaign. Maybe you have the Wayland family be like old family friends or something like that, and then you could have them like be familiar with the the Wayland story and maybe already have the investigators be privy to the fact that his wife died and he sort of kind of fell into this rabbit hole without really going into much more than that. Yeah, if you're playing a campaign and you lay the groundwork early for perhaps the investigators want to perform the ritual themselves and they're gathering, they're researching how the ritual is performed, talking to somebody like the Waylands would obviously be appealing to them because they've already done it. Regardless of how you introduce all the backstory into the campaign, the most important piece of the investigation is getting the investigators into the house itself. And as written, the scenario has the group of investigators simply run out of gas somewhere out in the middle of the countryside, miles away from the nearest gas station. And the closest house happens to be the Wayland Estate, and they walk inside looking for a phone or, or gas. And much to their surprise, they actually find a phone and perhaps maybe even find gas too, depending on how the keeper feels that the players will respond. But 
I will say as a warning that, you know, this is another one of those scenarios that's very easy for the players to simply disengage from if you allow them to leave the house too early. So I would advise against doing that. Yeah, I'm not a I wasn't a huge fan of of the the setup for this scenario. I think we've seen this these sorts of scenarios that strand the investigators far from civilization and their only option is to go to to said house and I think for for many players their first inclination is to leave the house as quickly as possible to to sort of get what they came for and go. And so I could uh, see a lot of uh of players disengaging from this pretty quickly and the keeper having to do some fancy footwork to to keep them on the property. Now, the scenario does provide some ideas on for keepers on how to keep the players uh, on the property should they uh, wish to leave. I didn't find any of them particularly appealing. The one was just they get in the house and then they suddenly can't leave because all the windows and doors are bricked up. And that just sort of smacks of you know, DM fiat at that point or keeper fiat. But I think, you know, with a little bit of work and a little bit of forethought, you could, I think, easily work around this sort of setup and create one that's sort of much more natural and leads into the scenario much more naturally so the the investigators may not their spidey senses may not start going off immediately that that something is awry like a lonely house in the middle of the country might i think you could probably relocate the wayland estate to you know near a community the investigators like we talked about maybe going there to to get some information about how this ritual is performed or, you know, they perhaps they're just invited to a dinner party there by by someone and away you go uh, at the back toward the back of the book. It does include some ways to to hook the players into the scenarios in it uh, without having to resort to this sort of you've run out of gas on an abandoned road and your only option is to go to this house. The book offers both psychological elements as well as physical intrigue and i think it also provides pretty decent cover for the initial premise where the players can actually use the phone and call the local gas station and you could just say like you know hang tight here and you know we'll have someone drive the gas up to you in a couple of hours or something like that and have the investigation take you know over the course of that while the players are waiting for the gas to arrive or something like that so that's one possible thing Another thing is that you could delve into the psychological elements and have the shapeless one be affecting the player's perceptions of reality. And, you know, maybe there's a giant storm that starts to kick in, which is a classic trope of all horror movies that keeps the players inside the house. Or, you know, you could have the players like try to run outside, but then... You know, they just keep ending running around in a circle and end up back at the front of the house. And while those are a bit contrived, in my opinion, I do think that you could work off something like that and easily make it more grounded and believable, like you were saying. Regardless of how you get the players in the house, once they're in the house, I feel like the the investigation from there is pretty easy to to keep on the rails. Yeah, the uh, the scenario provides uh, pretty extensive details of of each of the rooms in the house. So if the uh, investigators want to go exploring, the uh, the keeper has plenty of information there to 
to keep them engaged. It also provides various scenes that the keeper can run. Not necessarily, they're presented in an order, but the book goes out of its way to say, you know, you don't necessarily have to present these scenes as they're ordered in the book. You can uh, mix and match them uh, as necessary. Yeah, and it's nice that the investigation is pretty open-ended, at at least like if the players are willing to stay at the estate and you've established a good reason for them to stay at the estate, you know, they can head out into the garage to try to find gas. Maybe some of them will be intrigued enough to go to the well, or you could have some of the kitchen staff send them off into the well to go fetch water for the kitchen. The one challenge I had was getting the players to explore the basement as there are some pretty good clues for them to find in the basement, but I don't think the scenario does a very good job of leading the players into the basement. So if you want the players to find the clues in the basement, you sort of have to direct them there. Yeah, I could see that definitely being a problem. I think the the uh, the NPCs sort of ask the investigators to to sort of stay put and not do a lot of exploring, which could be a potential problem in the long run because they really do need to explore the house in order to to get a good result in the scenario. I, I guess the other problem I could see is that a lot of the scenario, I think, hinges on whether the PCs care or like the NPCs that they're encountering. And so if you want them to try to, quote unquote, save the NPCs, then I think the PCs really need to care about them. Yeah, in my game, when I ran this scenario, I had made, uh, well, in my case, it was the Kennedys. I had made the Kennedys a very prominent portion of one of the characters' backstories, or at least, like, they were friends with their, uh, the, their character's father. So there was, like, a big reason for them to stay and to actually care about these people. So in my game, that wasn't difficult. But like you were saying, I could definitely find that tough if you were running this as a one-shot. I think if you were to do it as a one shot, maybe maybe instead of having the players run out of gas, you have them invited to a dinner party. And then that makes the whole them staying put in the living room make sense as they're having drinks and, you know, they're they're socializing with the Whalen family and this and that. And I think that makes it much more believable as to why they wouldn't really be wandering around the house so much. And then you can introduce things like the the alcohol tasting like water and the fireplace giving off smoke or not giving off any smoke or heat, but still like embering in the, you know, in the place and just all all these little like weird details and sort of let the investigators slowly kind of figure out what's going on and then eventually drop what I think is probably the best scene in the entire in the entire scenario is the scene with Lester Goodman. Yeah, that uh, that scene can be a lot of fun. The description of it is fairly brief in the book, but it it wouldn't take very much to to expand that scene and to to make it uh, something really special. Like I was saying earlier, I had the players invited to the house at a dinner party to discuss business matters, and Lester was one of the one of the guests that was expected to arrive. And when he arrived, you know, he just sort of showed up in the kitchen in one way, and then I had him had another Lester come in through the kitchen and another Lester come in through another door. And then all of a sudden there was 12 Lesters and everyone's sitting at the table like, uh, and that reaction out of your players is priceless. It's great. And the scenario I think does a good job of leading the investigators to that. Like once you have a good reason for them to be in the house, that scene really 
kicks off the scenario into the WTF area. And like once that scene happens, the cat is out of the bag. You know, the players are going to do everything in their power to leave the house. And it's at that point that you can drop the, you know, the the keeper fiat of having the house like trap them inside and it feel more natural. Uh, And then from there, uh, act two essentially is them being stuck in the trap with the creature and having to uncover the story and discover the truth of what happens. And like we were saying earlier, the the investigators uh, chances really hinge on them being able to piece together Uh, these four wards that stand in the cardinal directions of the house and being able to trap this being within the four wards or either freeing the entity and letting it torment humanity for eternity. Depending on what the players do, they might want to do that. Um, That is certainly a possibility that we'll talk about in a bit, but I found this part to be difficult because I could find some groups really getting into the puzzle portion of it and really sinking their teeth into figuring out these puzzles and trying to like, you know, actually do these rituals at their table. And that could be pretty cool. And then I could see some groups really just glazing their eyes and not wanting to participate in any kind of silly puzzle in the middle of their RPG game. Yeah, I've I've read a couple of scenarios actually lately that uh, involve a uh, a puzzle element and yeah like you say it's it's tough some groups are really going to engage with that sort of thing others are not the the puzzle that is presented here i mean the the scenario does give the keeper way of sort of summarizing it with a role and proceeding from there i'm not actually when i when i was reading over the scenario i don't actually think they need to solve the puzzle per se in order to complete the scenario it the puzzle is is neat in that it provides a little bit more information but i don't think it it changes the outcome all that much what was your sense as written it does not Unfortunately, and that is something that we'll discuss and what we would change, because that is something that I would change is that ultimately the puzzle is interesting. And if your players want to engage with it, that's great. But it feels like a red herring as written because the players will sort of focus in on these things and try to decipher what it is all to, you know, all for it to not really mean much. Yeah, that was my big concern with it is that if the players decide to try to solve this puzzle, and I'm not entirely sure I would have the wherewithal to solve the puzzle uh, if it was presented to me. You know, it's once you see the solution, it's it's fairly evident, but I'm not sure I would be able to make the the leap in and uh, connect the dots and, and be able to... Uh, to solve it but i guess i was just sort of disappointed in the end that solving the puzzle puzzle really doesn't affect the scenario in any way and actually might again derail it much like the ritual itself so at some point the investigators you know all all hell is broken loose and all sorts of weird stuff has happened to them and eventually the the investigators are going to have to go up into the second floor of the house and discover what i would I would suggest is probably the the most important clue, and that's Veronica's journal in the upstairs. And they'll also find her body and the wand that she used to attempt to uh, cast the ritual. 
and the binding spell. And this is essentially where the players can solve the you know, solve the puzzle and or uh, find a way to banish the shapeless one. It really doesn't provide a whole lot other than a, basically a prayer, <laughs> quite literally a prayer in order to defeat the shapeless one. And in my experience, this thing is bad news, like real bad news. Even for Call of Cthulhu lethal scenario killer monsters, this thing is bad news. It has two attacks. The first of which, and the, keep in mind, this is the minor of the two, does, I think it's 3d6 to their intelligence, plus 1d10 sanity, and then its other attack deals 1d100 sanity. So tread lightly with that. Yeah, I think this is one of those scenarios where, as a keeper going in, you need to to realize that the shapeless one can basically drive the investigators insane whenever it wants. There's nothing stopping it from literally driving them all insane. And the way its attacks work, it's not attacking individual investigators. It attacks all the investigators within its area of influence, which is basically the house and exterior around the house. So should the DM decide that he wants to, to drive the PCs insane, the shapeless one can do that at basically any moment. <laughs> That's pretty rough. <laughs> yeah. And the shapeless one has effect over their memories and what they, you know, their literal reality within the house. So it's not even so far gone to say like that, even if the players were to manage to figure out that they need to find the four wards and push them together, that the entity could just make them something that the investigators absolutely hate and will run away in fear from, or, you know, make them a pile of ants and just sort of dissipate in the investigator's hands. Like, there, there's nothing in the scenario to not have the shapeless one do that, but you would be a real dick DM to do that to your players. Well, I think that falls under there. There is a uh, a sidebar in the scenario on fallibility of the shapeless one and, and how much it actually knows. Uh, the way it knows these things is explained that the, the shapeless one is absorbing the memories of of the NPCs or has absorbed the memories of the NPCs. But Veronica, it uh, while it did absorb some of her memories, it never learned what the wards actually were. And that's one of its biggest weaknesses. So I think if you were if the PCs were able to figure out what the wards were, that would be something that the uh, shapeless one wouldn't really know about. And so it would give them a chance to to uh, to succeed. I think the biggest problem with the with the scenario as written is that unless the investigators find Veronica's journal, they basically have no chance of getting a good result like the journal is just so pivotal to explaining how the wards actually work and how you can use them to try to defeat the shapeless one that i don't think there's any way for the pcs to know that you know outside of reading the journal i find that pretty i don't know if it's unfair to the pcs but it, it just feels like the the scenario sort of is railroading them toward a bad result and they can't really fight against that even if they read the journal at that point when they start to if they put two and two together and they're like okay we need to take these four wards and and follow the instructions in the journal that's when the shapeless one can start to attack and e and 
and start to drive the the investigators insane if it wishes. The scenario does give tips, you know, depending on whether you're running a standalone or part of a campaign, how easy you want to take it on them. And then even if they do sort of put two and two together and say, okay, we need these wards, we need to do these things with them, uh, they still have to beat the uh, the shapeless one in an opposed POW check. And the shapeless one has 200 POW. You really need all four investigators to be working as a team if they want to have a chance to to banish it. Yeah, it's... It's essentially they have to use the power of friendship to be able to banish the monster, which is kind of silly, in my opinion. And, and I, I think they need a little luck because if, you know, a lot of luck, if the if the, the keeper just says, OK, you see Azathoth take 1D10, 1D100 sanity, there aren't many investigators that are going to survive as soon as one if one investigator goes down, the odds of them actually being able to defeat the shapeless one with an opposed pow check drops precipitously and it just gets worse from there so but as for the things that i ended up changing when i ran this scenario the first off was that i made the wayland family a, a very relatable npc to my campaign um because i was running this in a darker trails pulp cthulhu game uh I had the the Whalen family be like a, you know, a famous banking family, and they were friends with uh, one of my characters whose father like ran a steel empire that helped, you know, build the railroads. So they had a very intimate connection with the Whalens and an interest in, you know, hearing what they had to say at the dinner party. And then that was the second thing that I changed was that I had it be a dinner party rather than them, you know, running out of gas or just going for some other reason specifically a dinner party so that they didn't feel the need to go wander around the house too much. I didn't change the Amberlin ritual so much, but I ended up making it more of a seance rather than this like 18 month process, just simply for the sake of time and brevity within the scenario. I think apart from that, the only other thing that I changed was that I ended up actually making Lester a more prominent character within the scenario, because I think that Lester is the best part of this scenario and trying to get him more involved, I think really could do the scenario a lot of good. If you're able to maybe introduce Lester early on in your campaign, you know, have him be like, you know, the antiquarian that sort of like finds the investigators, all those rare occult books and, you know, having this reveal that Lester like sold the book to them is kind of neat if you're able to incorporate Lester into your campaign. And then the big reveal that he is actually an aspect of Narlathotep is just so cool at that point. So I would recommend that you really play into that aspect of the scenario because that aspect's really cool. And then the other thing I would change is, uh, like we were saying earlier, is the importance of the puzzles. If you're going to have the puzzles in your game, you need to come up with a good reason why the puzzles matter. And in my game, I simply just removed them. But I think one way to make them matter is that instead of simply having the four barriers, you know, like in a particular room and have the creature in there and trap it, you could perhaps say that Veronica got one of the the runes wrong. And you need to, you know, the investigators need to figure out which rune is wrong 
and and then rewrite the rune or something like that. And then that finally traps the being permanently or something along those lines. But in in any case, you need to have it make a meaningful impact in the scenario. Yeah, I was going to mention that uh, when you talked about your one of your in, investigators, you know, talking to the the face or the shapeless one as it uh, appears as an angel, that is one of the things that uh, the scenario says you can do. It appears as an angel, but if the investigators want to disbelieve it, they have to make an extreme psychology role, which I think to most investigators is just an auto fail anyway. So they can't even disbelieve it, which I find a little frustrating. Like it feels like you're, you're taking away all of the, the investigators options at that point, because they can't even disbelieve what they are seeing, even though it seems pretty unbelievable that a, an angel suddenly appears and, and uh, is offering them to, to look upon the face of God. I should mention that uh, we've talked a little bit about how the investigators can beat the scenario. The, the scenario, the way it's written, has a, a slightly different ending where eventually the investigators start to point out some of the discrepancies around the house to the NPCs who then eventually reveal that they have been trapped in the house and are being tortured by a demon. And uh, they need the investigators to get rid of this demon. And the way they do that is by breaking these wards, thus freeing the shapeless one in the process. So that seems a lot more likely to happen, especially if they don't find the journal that sort of hints very strongly that all is not what it seems in the house. Yeah, and I think I think that was what my players were working towards. It's been it's been a few months since I've run it, but but I know that my players found that to be a much easier solution than trying to like find the real purpose, which was like the whole journal thing. Like they they thought that that was just something that somebody wrote in a panic rather than actually believing it as like the real source of information. Because in, mm. in the the minds of the investigators, they thought that, you know, the NPCs were real people at this point, you know, so they, they kind of took them at their word and being developly religious. Also, you know, they were inclined to believe that it was a demon and that it needed exorcism. And that was why the two of the players were there in the first place. So, right. so I, I definitely agree with you there that it's much easier for the players to be convinced that breaking the wards is the real solution. So if you if you do want your players to be able to, you know, banish it, then you need to basically drop the the journal into their lap, which I don't particularly care for either, because I feel like the journal it is nice that it is a good solution or at least a good way to find the answer to the solution, but the players should earn it at the same time. Whereas, you know, if you want that solution to happen, you sort of have to drop it into their lap. Yeah, I think that sort of leads into the changes I would make. I would probably change how the, like you did, change how the uh, the investigators get involved. And then I would take a pretty hard look at the puzzles. I think you could probably remove them without affecting the story all that much. The only real connection between the puzzle and the wards is the symbols on the 
on the wards themselves, which happen to be four statues that are scattered around the house. But the the symbols are only sort of, I guess, basically the puzzle is translating those symbols into words, but those words don't really impact the scenario in any real way. So it's just sort of busy work. And then I would sort of, if I want the, the investigators to have a chance, I think you need to, as a keeper, you need to do a little more work and figure out how they can find it, you know, have a reasonable shot at finding out this information. Obviously, you just don't want to dump it into their lap and say, like, here you go. Here's how you how, how you can defeat this thing. But by the same token, I feel like if they don't happen to go to that bedroom and read that book, then you're basically just forcing them into the ending that that uh, the the whole demon banishing ending. And then the, the scenario does sort of mention uh, a couple times like, well, what if the the investigators decide not to play ball like they figured out the wards they figured out the puzzle and they don't want to do anything anyway and it's just sort of left up to the the keeper as the shapeless one is just sort of like help me or die which if the investigators have decided not to help them that's not a choice you know and that if they force the keeper's hand it's just like well what am i supposed to do you all you know, sit in the house and die <laughs> yeah. everybody just sits there until the the keeper kills them all and that's not very satisfying either so i think you need to i think if you're going to run this you really need to take a look at the endings and see and maybe just like plot it out and see like okay what sort of steps do the investigators need to take in order to get to each of these endings and do I need to flesh out, say, the the banishment ending a little bit more to give them a chance? And then another thing to note, too, about the ending is the consequences of the endings. You know, if you're running this in a campaign and the investigators free this shapeless one into the world, then that should have some pretty serious consequences on your campaign and kind of need to really think about that and how you want that to affect your game, if at all. And, you know, if you want the players to to then just banish it, then, like you were saying, you need to give them the tools to be able to do that. Another criticism that I have, and I think that I would change, is how the investigators can translate the wards. Uh, it's sort of, as written, it's given to the players when they go and visit the bust of Augustus Wayland. Like, right from the get-go, it's just kind of there which I found to be pretty odd and jarring. If you simply just put that piece of evidence in Veronica's journal, then it makes a whole lot more sense. And I think another thing I would change as well is getting the players into the basement is very challenging because I, I don't think on, f on first impulse, the investigators don't really have a reason to go into the basement unless you give them one. You know, unless you have like one of the NPCs request that they go fetch something from the basement, uh, which is kind of a shame because it's a pretty cool scene down there. And I wish that the scenario gave a better way of getting the players down there. Yeah, I think the I think one of the, the things I noticed is that the transition from, say, the dinner party or not necessarily like I know you ran it as a dinner party, but, you know, the the transition from sort of that the beginning setup where the investigators are learning from the NPCs and they're they're chatting and some of these uh, inconsistencies begin to crop up. I find that it doesn't really explain how the PCs go from that to ex being interested in exploring the house. 
it yeah it really doesn't i mean i i guess it could be like they're just like well this is we should explore the house for clues that seems to be sort of what the the scenario is relying on but i don't find that very satisfactory especially if the npcs have sort of told the the investigators to sort of hang out here and have drinks with us don't go wandering off i mean it does the scenario does say like some of the the investigators could have drinks while others are like oh i need to go to the bathroom and that use that as an excuse to sort of go wander and 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 look around the house but it just feels like they're there needs to be maybe a, a transition there that isn't fleshed out as much. I was thinking maybe you could do it something like the the investigators are going to stay overnight. So first they have the like a dinner party and then they retire for the evening. And that gives them an actual reason to say go to the bedrooms, to go to some of these other locales in the house without actually having to create um, elaborate excuses. Yeah, that's a that's a good point you bring up. And, you know, if you're running the scenario as written with the investigators running out of gas on the countryside, then, you know, maybe you could say that their their engine broke down and they need a part and that part won't be there until the morning or some other, you know, contrived excuse that forces the players to spend the night there. The creepiness can sort of set in because it was very jarring, like you were saying, you know, from like, like as much as I really enjoy the scene of the Lester's sort of popping into the dinner room, it was a very stark, like 180 switch in terms of tone, you know, whereas things are sort of weird and uncanny at first. And then all of a sudden, you know, the lid comes off and the confetti is everywhere. I was actually thinking one of the one interesting, I don't know how you'd actually use this, but you know, they the scenario does give them the option to call on the call a, a gas station on the telephone and and uh, arrange for gas to be delivered. Of course, the shapeless one can control the PC's perceptions of everything, so the gas never arrives. But you could certainly have a gas station attendant um, create an NPC who who shows up at the house later to add a little bit more excitement to the the scene. Mm -hmm. Yeah, or a mechanic or something like that. Yeah, 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 it's definitely doable. And then the, I think the only other thing that I would change is I didn't really much care for uh, Evangeline Wayland, which we haven't really talked about, but that is the the dead wife of the family. And she basically prowls around as this kind of ghoul like creature around the grounds that the investigators can have encounters with. And, well, you could certainly create a creepy encounter with her at the well, and that's pretty much exactly what I did in my game. It doesn't really ultimately lead to anything, which is disappointing. You know, maybe the players will find out that it's the dead mother, but they probably won't, because I don't think the scenario really gives you enough to figure that out. But if you're going to have her in the scenario make her do something, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Because I think as written, it doesn't really provide you a lot of cool stuff to do with her as a character. She's just sort of there. Yeah, it's, uh, I agree. I think there's there's an element of, of Evangeline where she she really is supposed to be connected to the ending in a strong way where so the investigators chat with the NPCs. They start to discover something is wrong. As the NPCs are about to make a revelation that 
might blow the whole thing open for the the PCs. Evangeline shows up and kills them. And then that NPC is almost immediately resurrected or just simply appears on the scene from another room again. And then when the I guess the investigators are like, well, what are you doing here? You were just brutally murdered by this this strange demon-like creature. That's when the NPCs are like, oh, you know, we were trapped in this house with this demon. That's the demon you need to banish and go from there. Yeah, I don't know how often that's really going to happen. And then I feel like it detracts from the shapeless one. Or it's like the, the the main focus is the shapeless one and getting the shapeless one defeated or freed in some manner so that the players can leave the house. And I feel like Evangeline sort of detracts from that. And I feel like the scenario had a hard time picking between one or the other. Yeah, I, I can see where some of these I think some of these issues are up appearing in the scenario because you're playing the scenario as though from the shapeless one's perspective like the keeper is running everything from the shapeless one's perspective and it has ultimate control over everything that is happening in the house but it is attempting to deceive the investigators as well so it's it's almost as though the shapeless one is presenting two versions of reality and the investigators have to make the jump from one to the other in order to achieve its plan and i'm not sure it does that successfully and i could certainly see something like evangeline showing the scene and uh, again much like the puzzle her ending up to be another red herring that if the np if the investigators don't interpret her correctly suddenly you're off on another tangent and at this point you ha you may have two or three tangents and it's going to be very difficult to sort of pull everybody to get everybody where you want them to be i guess sort of to make that leap from here is reality a that the the shapeless one is presenting but it's actually wrong it wants you to fix reality b but then there's sort of another reality, which is the actual truth of what has happened. And so you're sort of trying to go between all of these different versions of events. And I'm not sure it pulls it off as, as quite as successfully as it could have. It's a really neat concept, I think. Uh, you know, this idea of like the unreliable narrator. But, you know, as a keeper, you have to run the game. And you have to have your players trust the information that you give them. And I feel like if you spend a lot of the time sort of manipulating and deceiving them, then you're going to have a hard time getting the players to believe what you what you want them to believe or anything at all, for that matter. And yeah, if you think back to like the, you know, there's the Kurosawa's Roshiman, which is often cited as the, you know, the premier example of the unreliable narrator. But you know, in that movie, the protagonist talks to to different people and they each give him a different version of events. So he starts to pick apart, you know, well, what really happened here? You know, this person told me one thing and this person told me another. But I think the narrative that Augustus and Veronica are telling is the same, but they have where the gaps occur is like they don't remember sort of how it all ended. So Augustus doesn't remember how his ritual ended. Veronica doesn't have a clue how hers ended. The kitchen staff sort of, or that were sort of away for the rituals, they know they were away, but they come back and they don't know why, 
you know, how things ended. So it's sort of more the ending is unclear. And I'm not too sure the scenario actually, you know, maybe that that's where the journal comes in again to say, like, this is the way this is the real way things ended. Yeah, yeah, it's I think it's it's it really asks a lot of a keeper to to juggle sort of three different strands of narrative that are going on in the uh, in the scenario. I don't think I would recommend this for a for a novice keeper because I think that it would be pretty challenging to to keep it all straight and provide the investigators with avenues to to move between the three strands without getting lost or sidetracked or you know off on a red herring somewhere Mm -hmm. yeah i would i would agree with that sentiment you know even as an experienced keeper there was a lot of things going on in this scenario that you had to keep track of you know like you were saying you're you're trying to get the players to piece out what really happened with the journal and the various notes that they can find scattered throughout the house you're trying to give them the small details of the inconsistencies you know like the lights being on but there's frayed wires throughout the house and you know there's there's a fire going on in the fireplace but there's no smoke or heat coming off of it but then you're also trying to juggle the narrative that the the shapeless one is providing the the players as well with the, the whole like trying to get them to banish the demon and actually free the the shapeless one and you know it's a lot to juggle in in addition to all the stuff your players are going to want to do and i i would suggest you know maybe just simpling it down or boiling it down to the elements that you really like out of the scenario and then just sort of focusing more on those aspects because i i do think that depending on your group a lot of players will sort of just glaze over you know a bunch of npc backstory stuff especially if you're running it as a one shot I could just see them really not caring about a lot of that. And the scenario really hinges, like you were saying earlier, really hinges on the player's investment in the NPCs. And if they don't have any of that, and then, you know, the scenario doesn't really go anywhere. I, I would almost recommend that you run this as a campaign and establish the Waylands early on, or at least establish that there is a connection from one of the one or two of the NPCs to the Wayland family. So that way the players have some sort of more meaningful motivation when they go into the scenario. I think one way, if you, if you're interested in running this scenario, I think one way to do it would be to simply cut to the chase and maybe eliminate sort of a lot of the extraneous stuff and just go with the, the family, like Augustus and his daughter and his uh, servants are trapped in the house and being tormented by a demon and have the NPCs raise that like right away rather than have to go through this sort of long-winded Evangeline showing up and killing them before they reveal information only for them to come back and stuff like that. I think there's enough weird stuff going by, you know, if they haven't figured out something odd is going on in the house by the time the dinner party starts, then your players are obviously quite jaded. (laughs) So there's, I think, enough clues that you can lay early to say, okay, there's something weird going on in this house. Then you have the the NPCs confide in the PCs that, okay, we're actually trapped in this house and we're being tormented by this. We're, we're souls trapped in this house and we can't get out. And then if you want to provide clues that maybe sprinkle in some clues that maybe 
the NPCs are lying to you. Mm-hmm. And maybe you should look for for another, like maybe there's another solution and yeah. do it that way. And just sort of eliminate, like get rid of the puzzles and get rid of the stuff like that that sort of might detract from the experience. Yeah, I also like the idea of maybe the group of investigators are, you know, maybe they're exorcists, you know, so you could almost run it quite literally like the plot of the exorcist movie where the players go in and they're trying to banish the demon from the house. So maybe instead of having Evangeline be this thing that runs around the house and kills the NPCs, maybe she's trapped in one of the rooms, like trapped in Veronica's room or something. And, you know, she's like doing the exorcist stuff. And then the players are sent there to exorcise the demon from the house. So that's like very clear from the start of the scenario, like what the players are there to do. Because like you were saying earlier, the, the players goals in the scenario are basically survive or die. And that is never a recipe for success in these types of games. You know, another way you could do it, too, is say, say the players are invited by the Waylands to help them perform the Amberlin ritual or perform a seance or something along those lines in order to banish the demon. But, you know, I think both of those clearly establish the players intentions in going into the house and a goal for them to accomplish when they're there. Yeah. And I think you could probably lay the groundwork. I'm just thinking about the sort of, because the shapeless one is still in the memories of, of the, the various NPCs. I think you might be able to have like some of the NPCs be like, yeah, there's a demon in the house that's killing us. And then maybe the kitchen staff being like, what are you talking about? There's no demon here. And that sort of hints to the players like, okay, something is going on here. Like besides all the other weird stuff they they can't even seem to agree what is happening to them. But yeah, I think, I mean, it's a, it's a fascinating. I think the more you dig into it and you sort of start to pull at the various threads, they do unwind to a certain extent and you need to sort of figure out, okay, how do I sew all this back together into a satisfying conclusion? for everybody at the table because i don't think it's going to feel very good if you're if you're a keeper and you end up with the the players are are more jaded or more experienced and just say well we understand what's going on here we're not going to play ball with this thing and then you're put in that do as i say or die and that's not going to feel good for anybody that leads us into the things that we actually do like about the scenario and you know while we have spent the good first hour or so kind of ragging on various little things that we didn't like. Uh, There is a lot to like about this scenario. I think the first thing is that it provides you with, like you were saying, there's a lot of things going on in the scenario that you can cherry pick what you want out of it and really focus in on those elements and explore those elements more deeply. And the scenario gives you a good framework with the house and the estate surrounding the house that you can really like run a good couple of sessions off of that if you really wanted to. And then there's, of course, the scene with the Lesters that I mentioned earlier. That's a great scene. And Lester ended up actually being a recurring character in my campaign. I don't think that that is too difficult to have happen in your games as well, is that you could have Lester or the the Shapeless One become this kind of recurring threat or antagonistic force in your campaign. Yeah, I liked a lot of the uh, the scenes that, uh, that were described in the... Uh 
in the uh, story. A lot of the descriptions that are provided are really helpful. Even the stuff with Evangeline, which you might have difficulty using depending on how you use her, but there are some really good descriptions of how she actually goes about killing some of these NPCs and and creating this this weird environment. I mean, Lester's arrival is an obvious highlight, but I think there are other parts as well where it uh, the the writer did a really good job of of providing keepers with some good tools to to describe the weirdness that is happening in the house because as a keeper I've I that's often a trouble that I find is that you're trying to often describe things that are otherworldly or unearthly and so often you end up having to default to earthly descriptions of things and so it's nice when the the author has done some of that legwork for you and you can say oh yeah that would be weird or strange like one of the aspects of the scenario that's really interesting about it is that it almost feels like you could get you know completely different outcomes depending on what group you're running it with and i i think that speaks a lot to it as well is that you know while we were sort of griping on on the open-endedness of the endings i do think that if you you do sit down and you plan that out that it is really fascinating how how two games of this scenario can end up wildly different from one another but still ultimately provide a really satisfying experience for the players as much as i like the puzzles and making them a part of the scenario i I do think that keepers should um should not use them if they don't feel like they're ready to but if you are and your group likes that sort of stuff it's i think one of the highlights of this scenario because so many call of cthulhu scenarios don't even attempt to do stuff like that where they'll be like there's a puzzle in the room and the players make an idea roll and solve it whereas this one actually gives you a lot of great handouts and things to pass around to the you know pass around the table for your players to check out and you know if your players are into that sort of thing this is a really cool scenario for them to experience yeah i do i do appreciate when scenarios put puzzles in or when authors put puzzles in their scenarios because i think that's something that role playing in general has tended to shy away from uh more of late like things like puzzles and traps that were very common back in the the 1980s and 90s have now sort of become have fallen out of favor in focus of role playing and so it's I don't know how many like especially if you're working with new players it would be tough to judge whether they would be ready for something like that but if you had the right group I think the puzzle would be would be fantastic it would just be I think the thing you've got to fix with it is is tying it into the greater whole so the solution like solving the puzzle isn't the reward there needs to be something else like they need to solve the puzzle. Yes, that's that's fantastic. But they need to be able to that puzzle has to give them some sort of clue that helps them along. And I and I don't I don't think it does that here. But the puzzle itself, I, I'm was curious to find out whether these sorts of things are actually in the book that the scenario is based on or whether this was something that the the author created based on the information in the book, maybe. Yeah, I'm unsure about that, but I did I did actually include the puzzles in my uh, in my game of this and my players quite liked it. And I was sort of surprised because I didn't take them for the puzzle solving type, but they really quite enjoyed it. And I found that the puzzle was pretty intuitive, you know, because I think that's the struggle with most puzzles and role playing games is that you want them to be challenging, but not overly so. 
You know, they have this like Goldilocks complex where they have to be just right. If you make them too hard, then they become frustrating and sort of detract from the experience. And then you end up just doing an ideal role anyway. And if you make them too easy, then you sort of just hand the investigators a handout and plop the evidence in front of them without really giving them the satisfaction of solving the puzzle. So I can see why, you know, games have strayed away from that, but I'm glad that this scenario didn't because it, it does provide something unique to the scenario that I don't think we've really seen in many other Call of Cthulhu scenarios, at least 7th edition ones. And then the other thing I like, the last thing I'll, I'll mention about the scenario that I liked is I really liked how in detail they went with the shapeless one. You know, they, they spend a whole two to three pages kind of going over its motivations and, you know, how how you should handle the uh, the the shapeless one throughout the course of the scenario. And it, it does provide you with some pretty good hints. And, you know, we've kind of been going over them throughout the course of this review, like make sure that you you sort of have this fallibility in mind when you're playing the role of the of the shapeless one and it gives you some advice on how to handle combat if it comes to that. And, you know, while we didn't particularly care for, you know, the extreme roles of, you know, 200 POW and the extreme psychology role, the players will need to be able to break the illusion of it. You know, that being said, it at least does provide the handler with a lot of information about this creature. You know, that's always nice. Even if you don't end up running it, you can use the shapeless one maybe in another scenario or in the hands of a novice keeper. You know, like we said, the shapeless one can basically drive the PCs insane whenever it wants. If you don't, if that's not clear, you don't understand that from the beginning and you and the text doesn't provide you with alternatives to driving them insane, then I think a keeper will would sort of feel like their hands are tied. It's like, well, the, the scenario is telling me this is what this thing does. And so I'm going to do it, you know, regardless of sort of how it impacts the game. But I think the scenario does a really good job of fleshing out the shapeless one and and providing motivations for it. Like it's not necessarily, you know, it's kind of a weird mythos creature in a way because it's not sort of it didn't feel as otherworldly as some of the some of the other creations that we've seen where their motivations are unknowable this one it has a pretty clear motivation it just wants to escape mm -hmm. and it's willing to bargain with the investigators to a certain extent or manipulate them or do other things in order to get what it wants yeah it makes it feel more human in a way you know, because it's its goals are very human oriented, you know, that's it's a very understandable goal. And I think that makes it much easier to run as as the keeper, because you can very clearly understand what it's doing. Because yeah, like you were saying, so many mythos creatures kind of feel like their their motivations are basically instinctual, basically like they're to either eat, eat the investigators or just cause chaos for its own sake rather than having this more meaningful motivation or goal behind it. Yeah, I was thinking of that, comparing it to that, uh, that one, uh, that one monster in the, uh, in the mansions book where it's, it's in the house and basically it's, it's only motivation is to grow and eat. Yeah, that's a really good comparison. You know, so you can't, you can't really learn anything about it because it's, it wears its, its motive on its sleeve. You know, it, it's just going to eat and consume and grow as, 
quickly and as big as it can. Whereas the shapeless one is a lot more, it actually has some sort of personality that I think you can bring out. Like the fact that it will, will masquerade as an angel, which I, I think is, I, I, I quite liked about it. Like I like that fact that it, that it will go to that extent, like to get what it wants, that it will masquerade as an angel. And I, that's why I was sort of disappointed by the extreme measures that the investigators have to go to break through that deception, because I think that creates an interesting tension there where the shapeless one is like, well, I'm an angel, you know, I'm trapped here please release me. And if the investigators have some idea that maybe it's not telling the truth, that leads them to dig a little further. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think as the way it's written, it's just like the the investigators believe they don't, you're taking away their agency to actually question whether this thing is telling the truth or not. And I think there are enough clues throughout the house, especially with, you know, Veronica's death, right? The The angel's like, yeah, she summoned me, but then she attacked me and I had to kill her. It's just like, why is an angel killing people? Yeah, it seems pretty. <laughs> that seems pretty suspect, <laughs> you know. And and even just like just the way I said it, right? That the PCs are going to be naturally suspicious of that. But when they fail their extreme psychology check as a keeper, you're like, no, you believe them. Mm-hmm. You you believe this is what happened. Whereas the players will definitely not believe that to be the case, which is I think creates a a, a disconnect there. Yeah, definitely. In conclusion, though, I think this scenario has a lot going for it. While it doesn't it doesn't give the keeper a clear path to a satisfying ending, I think there's enough here in in the meat of the scenario to provide you with a a path to get there. Unlike scenarios like the gateways to terror ones, you know, those shorter linear scenarios, this one's much more of a sandbox and you have to you, re- you really have to do your time and prep this one more so than other scenarios. I feel like like you were saying earlier, this is this is a scenario you have to be very intimately familiar, not only with your group, but with with the rules and how to structure a good scenario. But barring all of that, if you're able to pull this off, this one is really quite something. Yeah, I, I think it has a lot of, of potential to be a, a very memorable scenario. Certainly the scenes that uh, are in the that are in the scenario to begin with are are going to be very memorable for your players. I think you have to sit down as a keeper and and figure out how it ends. How is this going to end so that you don't end up in a in a situation where the players sort of just feel like there's nothing they can do? And certainly, you know, given the power of the shapeless one, that is a possibility where it can simply block them at every turn and there's nothing they can do. So I think you really need to sort of focus on what does this how much does the shapeless one know? What are its powers? How much can it manipulate reality? And then figure out how the piece, if you're going to give the PCs a chance, sketch out a, a better path for them than I think what is presented. Mm-hmm. Where it it basically comes down to discovering one item in the house. And then I think conversely, if you are going to rob the players of the opportunity to kill the thing, then you need to make it a satisfying death for them. And how you go about that is up to you. In addition to the ending, you also need to plot out how the investigators get involved, because I think it is very easy for the investigators to to become quickly disengaged if they don't care about the Wayland family. You know, I think once you get over those hurdles and you have those planned out, this scenario is is really cool because there's a lot of 
interesting stuff in the middle here. And I think the more you run this scenario, the better you get at running it more so than other ones, because there's just so much going on. And once you really learn all the intimate details of the scenario, you can really focus in on the good elements of it without having to, you know, sort of burden yourself with the with the need of prep and all the other stuff that the scenario presents you. That's going to do it for our review of the Saturnine Chalice. If you enjoyed it, be sure to like the video and subscribe to the channel for more Call of Cthulhu and other RPG scenario reviews. Thank you for watching, and we'll see you all in our next review.